the purchase of a new hymnal. Anybody wants to see a copy of it, we, we can, I'll put it in the back table. Um, the general plan is we will not lose any of the old songs, and this will give us some new options as far as hymns and songs. So this will be in the back table, or feel free to come up and grab it when, when we're done here. I barely avoided a traumatic experience. I would have needed counseling and and such for um, coffee dispensing machine at Quick Trip. There's two buttons: one for hot coffee, one for iced coffee. I accidentally hit the iced coffee button. Can you can you imagine the trauma of Jerry walking through the dark streets of Wabasha on a January morning? drinking iced coffee with frozen hands, frozen feet. I never would have recovered. Um, so <clears throat> thankfully I avoided it and caught the button just in time. So um, we'll open in prayer. Thank you, Father, for your presence with us. Help us to enjoy you, to enjoy your embrace, to walk in the light, to abide in you. I pray for discernment as we look at the world around us as we look within our own hearts to uh, recognize truth, to avoid error. I pray for that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As Mike pointed out, that verse in the bulletin really does tie in nicely with today's message and <clears throat> trust the Lord with all your heart. So we looking at the heart, lean not on your own understanding. And then this next sentence has one word I really want to point out in all, all that little word all, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. So we'll be thinking about the word always quite a bit, but it's very close to the word all. Um, so. Proverbs 28, 14 says, and we'll be looking at Proverbs 28. <clears throat> How blessed is the man who fears the Lord always, always. So tonight in your sleep, I want you to be thinking and hearing that word always. <clears throat> blessed is the man who fears the Lord always. <clears throat> After my recent stories about my lack of mechanical aptitude, I'm sure you're all sitting on the edge of your seat wondering what new conquest I've been humbled by recently. Um, even though I've shared this story before, it has a unique twist. And I suspect that most of you have not heard it, or if you have heard it, you probably won't recall it. Going back to about the year 2004, some of you probably, well, many of you remember Mike Langanke my work with Great River Homes. And Mike and I were getting ready to mow lawn one day, but the lawnmower would not start. Um, we had a staff member who could fix just about anything. He had a brilliant mechanical mind. And typically, he had a neat habit, a, a godly habit. He'd always pray for guidance before he started to fix anything. Just, just take a minute and pray about this, Jerry. Um, I appreciated that. And we do well to, to follow that example and remember to 
take that moment to pray about the so-called little things because there are no little things. Anyways, I turned that rebellious lawnmower over to him for repair, and he proceeded to do things like clean and adjust things on the mower. And notice how I call that by their specific name, things. <laughs> he concluded the problem was with a certain filter and that the mower would soon be ready to go. Ten minutes later, I stopped by to see how things were going and he was baffled. He had fixed the problem, but the mower was still being rebellious. <clears throat> he pulled the cord repeatedly, repeatedly. It wouldn't start, it wouldn't start. It's a hot day. He's getting hot. He's getting a little frustrated. He's at, at his wit's end, no idea what to do next. And enter yours truly, the Mr. Fix-It Man. <laughs> I arrived on the scene. Perhaps I was the answer to his prayer that day for wisdom and fixing a lawnmower. I knew nothing about adjusting carburetors. I knew nothing about fuel filters and fuel lines. But I didn't know one thing other than checking the gas tank, which had gas in. <clears throat> I knew one thing. That was to check the spark plug to see if the spark plug is connected to the mower. And so I think I knew how to check. So I, I looked and yeah, it was disconnected because he had disconnected it when he was doing all the work on the lawnmower. He forgot to reconnect it. <clears throat> so I enjoyed walking over there watch this Jim and <laughs> put this put the spark plug on and uh, it started um, it was the only time in my life a once in a lifetime experience where I fixed something that a mechanic could not fix <laughs> it hasn't happened before or since it's just a one-time experience so and as it is with that mower so it is with our life right um, we may try all these other things we may try human wisdom we may pursue a thousand different idols. We may achieve a lot of worldly achievements, but unless we daily, always, always reconnect ours with shared first hour hunger and thirst for truth, unless we do that, unless we daily reconnect that spiritual spark plug, unless we abide in him, as Charlie shared a couple of weeks ago, unless we, um, glory in Christ and put no confidence in the flesh unless we enjoy his embrace or as Proverbs chapter 3, 5, and 6, unless we trust in him with all of our heart and lean not on our own understanding. If we don't do those things, it's all vanity. It's all chasing after the wind. A portion of the song, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed by the, the Gettys captures the truth of the empowering presence of Christ. The song goes, the power that raised him from the grave now works in us to powerfully save. He frees our heart to live his grace. Go tell of his goodness. Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. So as I said today, we'll look at uh, Proverbs 28 and focus on verses 13 and 14. But uh, we will also browse through the entire chapter. But verses 13 and 14 will be our focal point. He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. When I came across that word compassion, I thought of going through the Gospel of Mark and how often we looked at the fact that Jesus moved with compassion, reached out and touched the leper, and many other places in Gospel of Mark where it talks about compassion. So in a sense, he who confesses his sin and forsakes them will find the Lord. 
you find compassion. Verse 14, how blessed is the man who fears the Lord always. Um, again, I, I just want you to think about that word, always, or all your ways acknowledge him. <clears throat> but he who hardens his heart will fall into calamity. Before we start on Proverbs 28, just a very quick review of a previous chapter that we covered, Proverbs chapter 23, and we looked at verse 23 of Proverbs chapter 23. Buy truth and do not sell it. Get instruction, wisdom, and understanding. So the concept of that verse is to cultivate that intense desire to learn truth, to know truth, and above all, to always always cleave to truth don't sell it the one who is truth do not let the flesh the world or satan distract and disconnect that spiritual spark plug i've often thought about the comment that keith made last time i was teaching that the a simple little phrase rust never sleeps the tendency to stray towards things that are of the flesh, of, of the world, of Satan. Spiritual rest, spiritual rest never sleeps. Always enjoy his brace because rust never sleeps. Always, always enjoy his embrace because rust never sleeps. So we'll browse through all of Proverbs 28, looking for those little spiritual nuggets of gold. And we'll come back and focus on verses 13 and 14. So Proverbs chapter 28, verse one, the wicked flee when no one is pursuing, but the righteous are bold as a lion. As I thought about that verse, sin makes men cowards, doesn't it? They flee when no one's pursuing. We would do well just to stop and think in our own lives. Are we, is there something, someone that we are avoiding that we're fleeing from because of sin in our life? Just something to contemplate. Verse two, by the transgression of a land, many are its princes, but a man of understanding and knowledge, so it endures. Sin brings division. Sin brings polarization. Sin brings isolation from one another. That sounds like a familiar scene in the country that we live in. There's a lot of sin in the land and the result is a lot of division, a lot of polarization. Verse three, a poor man oppresses the lowly. Who oppresses the lowly? Is like a driving rain which leaves no food. Those who forsake the law Praise the wicked, but those who keep the law strive with them. Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand all things. And just stopping there for a second. Evil men do not understand justice. That truth is self-evident in today's world, isn't it? We should not be surprised when the world around us, the evil, does not understand justice. Verse six, better is the poor who walks in integrity than he who is crooked, though he be rich. And I've always enjoyed the word integrity or thought about the word integrity. It's such a deep word. It's such a 
broad word. It's such an important word. It's a rich word. Integrity is moral soundness. Integrity is our character when nobody's looking. It's, it's solid core. It's not a hollow corridor. It's a solid corridor. It's solid all the way through. Verse 7, he who keeps the law is a discerning son, but he who is a companion of gluttons humiliates his father. Gluttony is not something we often talk about, but taking care of ourselves physically is important. So we're to avoid gluttony, but also notice the seriousness of even associating with gluttons. Don't be a companion with them. The, the famous verse, right, Jerry 1.1, 1, 1, if you hang around with, you know, so we need to be choose our companions carefully. Verse 8, he who increases his wealth by interest and usury gathers it for him who is gracious to the poor. He who turns his ear away from listening to the law, even his prayer is an abomination. He who leads the upright astray in an evil way will himself fall into his own pit, but the blameless will inherit good. The rich man is wise in his own eyes, but the poor who has understanding sees through him. When the righteous triumph, there is great glory, but when wicked men rise, men hide themselves. Going back a little bit here, the first thought in verse 11 captures the pervading thought of verses 8 through 12. The rich man is wise in his own eyes. You may recall a couple months ago we focused on Proverbs 26, 11, and 12. Like a dog that returns to its vomit, so is a fool who repeats his foolishness. Do you see a person who is wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. So looking at verses 8 through 12, the thief in verse 8 is wise in his own eyes and he cheats. Verse 9, the man who disregards moral principles but puts on a facade of religion and prayer is wise in his own eyes. Verse 10, the bozo who corrupts others, wise in his own eyes. Verse 11, the man who idolizes wealth. And verse 12, the man who seek, the wicked who seek power, all are wise in their own eyes, like a dog returning to its vomit. And looking at verse 10, this, a different angle of verse 10 struck me. He who leads the righteous astray. Implied in that is that the righteous can be led astray. So we do well to heed that warning. That's possible for you, it's possible for me, it's possible for believers to be led astray in an evil way. We have a desperate need to fear the Lord. When you fill in the blank, what's that word that comes next? Always, because there's that tendency we're prone to wander. It's a sobering thought to consider that as I look around this room, as I look in the mirror, there's not one of us who are not prone to being led away in, in some way towards evil. It's different for each of us, but we're all prone to that in some way. Verse 15, like a roaring lion and a rushing bear is a wicked ruler over a poor people. A leader who is a great oppressor lacks understanding, but he who hates unjust gain will prolong his days. A man who is laden with the guilt of human blood will be a fugitive until death. Let no one support him. 
as I thought about that, I just pray for the American legal judicial system. <clears throat> Verse 18, he who walks blamelessly will be delivered, but he who is crooked will fall at once. He who tills his land will have plenty of food, but he who follows empty pursuits will have poverty and plenty. A faithful man will abound with blessings, but he who makes haste to be rich will not go unpunished. To show partiality is not good, because for a piece of bread a man will transgress. Looking at verse 18, as we backtrack a couple of verses, notice the certainty of that verse. He who walks blamelessly will be delivered. It doesn't say usually or might be. God promises that they will be delivered. We're eternally secure in Christ. Does not say when, but we will be delivered. And then also notice the, the opposite angle that contrasts the positive promise with the negative promise. But the crook, one who is crooked will fall with, with certainty, will fall all at once. It's certain that the wicked will fall. They may seem to prosper, they may seem to be getting away with their sin. Things may go well for years, but all at once, all at once, they will fall and the fall will be complete. Looking at verses 22 through 28, a man with an evil eye hastens after wealth and does not know that want will come upon him. He who rebukes a man will, find, will afterward find more favor and he who flatters with the tongue. He who robs his father or mother and says it is not a transgression is a companion of a man who destroys. An arrogant man stirs up strife, but he who trusts in the Lord will prosper. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but he who walks wisely will be delivered. He who gives to the poor will never want, but he who shuts his eyes will have many curses. When the wicked rise, men hide themselves, but when they perish, the righteous increase. We're looking at verse 26. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but he who walks wisely will be delivered. That runs contrary to the humanistic thought so prevalent in today's culture, doesn't it? It runs contrary to the, the rust of the flesh, the rust of the world, the rust of Satan. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but he who walks wisely will be delivered. If you could turn to Jeremiah chapter 17 for a little bit. There's a well-known verse in that section, Jeremiah chapter 17. But for the sake of context, we're going to look at some verses that come just before the well-known verse, that chapter 17, verse 9, about the heart being desperately sick and wicked above all else, the verses that come before that, as we start to ponder verse 26 of Proverbs 28, as well as verses 13 and 14 of Proverbs 28. So Jeremiah chapter 17, and we'll start with verse 5. <clears throat> and as I read these few verses, note the the depth, the width, the breadth of the word pictures that are painted in verses 6 and 8. This, <clears throat> this is what the Lord says, Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength 
and whose heart turns away from the Lord. For he'll be like a bush in the desert and will not see when prosperity comes. But he will live in stony wastes in the wilderness, a land of salt that is not inhabited. Get that picture of total isolation, total wilderness, total emptiness. Contrast, blesses the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. Circumstances may not be good. Circumstances may be difficult, but verse 8 has a promise for us. For he'll be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream, and does not fear when the heat comes, but its leaves will be green. He will not be anxious in a year of drought, nor cease to yield fruit. And then the well-known verse, the heart is more deceitful than all else, and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? So apart from the Lord, our hearts are more deceitful than, than all else. How deceitful? More deceitful than all else. That little word, all, shows up again, all, always. <clears throat> Do we really believe that? Apart from the Lord, our hearts are desperately sick. How sick? Desperately sick. Blessed is a man who fears the Lord always, or who hungers and thirsts after righteousness, because the heart is more deceitful than all else, and is desperately sick. Apart from Christ, like a, you've probably all seen a tin can sitting out in, outside somewhere that's been rusted through, and you get the mental picture. You've seen something that's rusted through, whatever it might be. <clears throat> Apart from Christ, our, our hearts are like that. They're rusted through, um, apart from Christ. <clears throat> As verses 5 and 6 of Jeremiah 17 says, Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind. Such a man will live in the stony wastelands, in the land of salt, disconnected from the spiritual spark plug, disconnected from Christ, and one who's disconnected from Christ is disconnected from people around him. As that... Uh, sacred marriage comment quote was that if your life is not aligned correctly with christ the emptiness inside you will destroy every human relationship that you're involved in <clears throat> but <clears throat> so today if somebody here is putting on that facade is isolated living in that wasteland that land of salt, separated from the Lord, separated from others. There is, a, there is hope, there is a promise. Blessed is the man, verse 7, who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. For he'll be like a stream, like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream. So in Christ, there's hope. So let's turn our focus to verses 13 and 14 of chapter 28. He who conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. How blessed is the man who fears in the Lord always. I'm going to read it one more time because I want you to hear it in your sleep tonight. How blessed is the man who fears in the Lord always. In all your ways acknowledge him. But he who hardens his heart will fall into calamity. He who conceals his transgressions will never prosper. Came across something written by Charles Spurgeon who once commented, Do you not know that providence is a wonderful detective 
There are homes upon the track of every thief, every murderer, and every liar, upon every sinner of every kind. Each sin leaves a trail. The dogs of judgment will be sure to scent it out and find their prey. There is no disentangling yourselves from the meshes of guilt, no possibility of avoiding the penalty of transgression, except in Christ, of course. <clears throat> or one might say that spiritual rust is inevitable and it will destroy the integrity of the structure, leaving just a pile of oxidized metal sitting there. So going back to Spurgeon's thoughts on concealing transgressions, there are some ways that we tend to hide sin, that we tend to promote spiritual rust that never sleeps. And as I read some of the lists that Spurgeon put together, just think about your own life. And we all probably tend to do this in one way or another, perhaps two ways or perhaps three ways. Um, but <clears throat> so think about your own life as we go through some of the thoughts that uh, Charles Spurgeon had as far as concealing transgressions from others, as well as from yourself, not being honest with yourself. Because again, the human heart is deceitful above all else, desperately sick. Some of the things that Mr. Spurgeon commented on were excuses and justifications. How does that apply? If you think back in the last week, has that come up in your life? Secrecy? Lies? Schemes to avoid or evade responsibility? Time, I thought that was an interesting one. Sometimes we just ignore issues knowing that in time they'll just kind of disintegrate and fade in the past, but never being really addressed or resolved. Tears or sorrow separate from repentance. Um, that the repentance part is, is vital there. Ceremonies, sacraments, or I would maybe say religious works to balance the scale and earn God's favor to try and overcome the, the sin. <laughs> So pray for discernment to know which of those areas that we just mentioned applies to you and for grace to uh, follow the last part of verse 13. But he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. And notice that there's two different parts in verse 13. There's the confessing part and there's the forsaking part. Confess sin to those who you offended important and confess sin to the Lord. No excuses, no procrastination, no secrecy, no attempts to evade responsibility, no tears separate from repentance, no allowing time to just kind of sweep the issue under the rug. No religious efforts to try and compensate for sin. So don't conceal that spiritual rust. Confess sin for what it is. That's the death of pride, isn't it? <clears throat> Confess sin for what it is. Verse 13 says to forsake transgressions. And remembering that Proverbs 23, 7 says, 
as a man thinks, so he is. So our focus is not so much on what we should not do, but what we should do. Because when you see a sign that says, don't touch wet paint, what's your first impulse? <laughs> so it's not so much think about what we shouldn't do spiritually, but what we should do. And some of you are probably thinking what verse I might quote next, as far as thinking and uh, being on the right track with our thought process. Those of you who thought of Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, got it. Um, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is excellent, just anything worthy of praise, think about these things or dwell on these things. That word dwell again, meaning spending some time. They're not just, oh, read my Bible today, done, move on to the next thing. No, stop, slow down in all your ways, acknowledge his, his will. And as it says in verse 14, to fear the Lord always. So taking that time to slow down. So verse 8 of Philippians chapter 4 talks about our thought process. Verse 9 talks about our actions that flow from that thought process. As for the things that you've learned and received and heard, and seen in me, practice these things, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So verse 13 ends with the idea of forsaking transgression. Verse 14 starts with that thought that is kind of the key thought for the day. How blessed is the man who fears the Lord always, always. Way back in Proverbs chapter 1, we considered... The fact that uh, verse 7 of Proverbs chapter 1 is kind of the, the key verse for the whole book, if you will. Um, the fear of the Lord is beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord, reverence for the Lord, respect for the Lord, a love for the Lord, <laughs> being sensitive to his word. The fear of the Lord is living out godly thinking and the corresponding godly actions considered in Philippians chapter 4 verses 8 and 9. Again, notice that little word at the end of verse 14. I know you're getting tired of me saying it, but it's, that's on purpose. Always. Always. Um, a little word with incredibly large implication. Always. As I think about the word always, I think about how consistently I would hear that fix-it man at work at Great River Homes. Anytime he was sitting down to work on something, hey, Jerry, let's pray first. Always. He's very, just very consistent with that. Um, so we need to always fear the Lord. Um, pray. Remember his word. Be sensitive to his guidance. <clears throat> pray before going across the street to talk to a neighbor. Pray before thinking about how I should talk to a child. Pray about a situation at work. Pray about how I should talk to my parents. Always, in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Always. The second half of verse 14 talks about a hardened heart, or as Ephesians chapter 4 talks about a hardened heart and a calloused heart. 
that word calloused. As I think about the flow of, in the context of verses 13 and 14, things that lead to a hardened heart or spiritual rest, they're, they're found in those phrases immediately preceding that comment about, or that verse about the hardened heart. Verse 13, not confessing sin will lead to a seared conscience, a hardened heart. Not forsaking transgressions, but justifying them and all those other things that we looked at. But walking in darkness will lead to a hardened heart. <clears throat> Not fearing the Lord always will lead to a hardened heart. I was going to spend quite some time looking at the life of Solomon, but I'm realizing this. We don't, we don't want to be here till one o'clock, so we're going to condense it. <laughs> Um, but just think about Solomon for a minute. He had it all. He had it all. Incredibly wise, spiritually gifted by God, world known for his wisdom. He had it all materially. He had everything. Yet in 1 Kings chapter 11, we see Solomon has a thousand wives. <clears throat> he was told to not to avoid mingling with foreign wives. He has a thousand of them. <clears throat> He's even constructed an altar to Moloch, a pagan god who children were sacrificed to. What happened? Um, just contemplate that. Um, I, I want to do a deeper study in that someday in my own personal life, but uh, what happened? He did not finish well. You know, late in his life, he maybe look back and saw his mistakes in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, but um, he knew the truth. But at some point in his life, that spiritual rust started. <clears throat> he, this, the spark plug was disconnected. He developed a spiritual heart problem. And he fell into calamity. So we need to consider the lessons we desperately need to consider the lessons to extract from his experiences what we need to learn, what we need to apply, <clears throat> so we do not harden our heart. So as we start a new year, as we start 2024, as it says in Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart. Um, I would add the, that word, always guard your heart. Because sometime today, there's going to be a temptation. There's going to be spiritual rust around us. It'll happen to every person in this room. <clears throat> Always guard your heart. And just bear in mind, well, think of nature. In nature, either something is growing and it's flourishing or it's starting to fade and die. So always keep in mind that we do not remain as we are. We either connect the spiritual spark plug and we grow to the extent that we enjoy his embrace to the extent that we abide in him to the extent that we place no confidence in the flesh but glory in christ <clears throat> or we spiritually rest and we start moving towards that hardened heart and as you think about that just keep solomon in mind <clears throat> there's a lesson to be learned there 
So I've often used this phrase, but I want you to think about each word of this phrase from the book Deeper by Dane Ortland. Each and every word, um, we will grow to the extent that we enjoy his embrace. We will grow to the extent that we enjoy his embrace. And then couple that with spiritual rest never sleeps. So there's the positive, there's the, the warning to take heed. So I will close in prayer. <clears throat> we thank you, Father, for your embrace, those of us who know you in a personal way, that you love us, that you have compassion on us, that you work in us to mold us, to change us, to bring growth in our lives, that we might be conformed to your image. We just thank you for that promise. We thank you for that eternal security that we have in Christ, that you will embrace us and never let us go. <clears throat> and help us to be, to, to fear you always, to, uh, be sensitive to your word, to your leading, to your guiding, not to conceal our transgressions with excuses or secrets or lies, but just to walk in the light and then that we might have fellowship with you and with one another. In Jesus' name I pray and give thanks. Amen.